Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. And with this series, which is soon coming to an end, <clears throat> excuse me, we're tackling um, a lot of questions that a lot of record labels and soon-to-be record labels have posted and ha on our Facebook group and have emailed me or that I've just seen kind of being discussed on, on what used to be Twitter or on Reddit, on, on different channels and on Facebook. And so one of these questions is, should a record label own the masters? And so we're going to deep dive into this topic today, and we're going to tackle the question of whether or not a record label should own their artist's master recordings, as opposed to licensing them for a certain amount of time or owning them and then giving them back to the artist after a certain period of time. Now, I only have very limited experience and what I do or have done in the past with my label might not be the norm. So a few weeks ago, I sent this question out to some label owners and industry folk that I really respect. A lot of people who've been on this show, some pretty big labels too, a music attorney and advocacy organization, just to get a good consensus on this topic. So uh, by the way, huge shout out to Infinite Catalog who sponsored today's episode, but we'll talk about them a little later. So what are labels in our community doing today? That's what I kind of wanted to ask this kind of group of advisors. What is the norm? What is ethical and fair? But first, what does this all mean? What do we mean when we say, should a record label own the masters? By the way, if you if I'm talking too fast, if you want to watch this as a video or if you just want to see the notes and this kind of laid out as a pretty article, those are always sent weekly in our newsletter, but you can also get them by going to other record labels com slash masters. That's otherrecordlabels.com slash masters. When a record label owns the masters, quote unquote, it means that they have acquired the rights to the original recordings of an artist's music. These original recordings, often referred to as master recordings or simply masters, are the first and highest quality recordings made during the production process of a song or an album. That's why they're called masters, because they're the kind of the original. They capture the raw performances, vocals, instrumentals, and other audio elements exactly as they were recorded in the studio. But why would a record label feel like they have the right to own the masters? Well, traditionally, and still a lot of times today, record labels would fund the recordings, which may include recording, session musicians, well-known producers, mixing, mastering. Remember, we're not talking about the songwriting here. We're talking about the one specific recording of a given song or a group of songs like an album. That's why Taylor Swift can re-record her old albums. The original recordings belong to someone else. Those are the original masters, but she can record new masters. So if a record label invests $100,000 into making these recordings or any amount of money, they feel like they own the recordings because they paid to make it happen. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a, in a few minutes. By the way, I'm sure major labels are, are probably adding in like a Taylor Swift clause to every new artist signing, saying that they can't record or re-record the music in the future. I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if that's true, but I wouldn't be surprised. Ownership of the masters gives the record label significant control and authority over the use or distribution and exploitation, you maybe heard the term exploiting the masters, of this recorded music. So this could include distribution and sales, the most common. It could also be licensing. So we, we, we talk about sync licensing, like taking this one recording of a song and licensing it to a television show or a movie. 
but also it can be the entire licensing of an album in different territories. So for example, I'm licensing an album right now to a company a retailer in Japan for the CD version of a record that was never done on CD. It was done digitally, of course, and vinyl and tape, but they want to do a CD version. So we're sending them the art files. We've signed a contract with them. They're going to pay us a royalty in an advance and they get the audio and everything to um, license that. So record labels have that power to do that. Royalties, of course, um, taking a, a, a percentage of the of the future sales and then, of course, having to pay the artist whatever their percentage of this master recording is. Um, reissues and remasters, that's why we see a lot of labels owning the masters um, indefinitely because then at the 20-year anniversary, they can monetize the album again by doing a deluxe reissue and they have the right to do that if they own the masters. And then in some cases, ownership transfer. There's a case where a record label is being swallowed up by a bigger label or being bought out, um, or maybe they're just completely shutting down and they own the rights to a couple of popular albums. And so they sell off those masters to someone else. I believe that's what happened with Taylor's thing. That's where I think it all went down. I'm not sure. The concept of owning the masters has been a topic of discussion and negotiation within the music industry for years. That's where we're going to go explore today. <clears throat> Artists often see seek to retain ownership or gain control over the their master recordings as it gives them more creative freedom and a greater share of the financial benefits. However, many newer or less established artists may enter contracts where they give up ownership of their masters in exchange for support, resources, and promotion provided by the record label. The balance of power between artists and record labels in these negotiations can vary widely based on the artist's popularity or lack thereof and their bargaining position and current industry trends. You might be wondering if today's topic is relevant to small labels or if it's just relevant to major labels or major indie labels. Well, regardless, wherever you are on the spectrum, I think it's important that you inform yourself because you might one day sign an artist, even if you don't even deal in contracts or you have no interest in owning the masters. Maybe you don't even license them for an exclusive period of time. You're just like super fly by night, whatever. I think it's just really good that you know how the industry works because you might have an artist come along sometime and say, I would prefer if you license the masters or I want you to pay for everything and I want you to own the masters or they just want to be a little informed. So it's important that you're informed on how it normally works. So let's talk about the pros and cons of owning the masters or better yet, let's look at both sides of the argument. That's what we're going to do. And doing this, I think, will help you give you a better understanding of this topic and this tradition. And I think it'll help you better know what to do with your artists. A huge shout out to my friends at Infinite Catalog. These guys have built an incredible platform for indie record labels to help manage their royalties. They take all of your income streams from sources like SoundCloud, SoundExchange, CD Baby, Bandcamp, Symphonic, honestly, everything, Shopify, Big Cartel, they're set up to have all that data download seamlessly into your dashboard so you and your artists can see who is owed what at any given time. Get a walkthrough of their platform and an exclusive discount from us by going to infinitecatalog.com slash other record labels. That's infinitecatalog.com slash other record labels. So let's be the major labels advocate here or the devil's advocate, if you will. Let's talk about why it makes sense for record label uh, record labels to own the masters. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about why it makes sense for record labels to own the masters. Then we're going to talk about why it doesn't make sense for record labels to own the masters. And then I'm going to tell you what people are doing. 
like what what the the most common answer is because I kind of got a bit of a consensus for my little advisory panel. Okay, number one is strategic investments and trade-offs. So record labels often argue that they should own the masters as a result of upfront investments they make. So it's comparable to buying stocks in a company or even investing in a company like Facebook at the very, very beginning. If you invest in a venture, you kind of expect to see outsized returns because of how risky everything is. So in the same way, record labels contend that if they fund an artist production and promotion, they should have a stake in the future earnings of those master recordings. So I'm not, okay, I just want you to understand, I'm going to give you three points as to why a record label should own the masters in perpetuity, but I'm not, I'm not advocating for that. I'm just saying, I'm just telling you why people in the past have argued that they should. So I'm not saying, Hey, Scott thinks everybody should own the masters outright. I'm not saying that at all, at all. I'm just telling you why people feel like they should. Um, so basically artists are kind of willing to trade away these rights in a lot of times because in exchange for like an advance of money or to get affiliated with like a big label or just for their shot at becoming the next superstar. So we see this a lot with major labels and a major label saying like, listen, if I go back to that Facebook analogy, if you risk $10,000 in the early days of Facebook, like before they went public, if you invested or any tech startup, if you invested $10,000, that's a lot of money, right? Especially if it's, if it's you or I or whatever, it's like $10,000 is a big chunk of change. And if we lost that, we'd be devastated. And in most investments into a tech company, you probably would lose that money. But if the company turns into something substantial and in 10 years, that $10,000 is now worth $10 million at the end of those 10 years, would it be right? If Facebook was like, okay, the ownership of those shares now revert back to us because the 10-year the period is up. So that's kind of the argument of record labels saying, listen, we took this big risk on you in the same way that if you took a big risk, risk on a startup, your shares or your ownership in that company doesn't expire after five years or 10 years or 25 years. You should own it forever until you decide to sell it for what it's worth. So I think that's a fair argument. That's just one of the arguments is that we're making an investment. It's a risky investment. And therefore, we should own whatever it is we've kind of helped build. The second reason is navigating the uncertainty in the new music business. So the music industry is inherently risky, especially when you get up higher and the investments are higher. With some releases like soaring in popularity and others completely falling flat, very much like the movie industry, right? They make all of these movies and then one of them one out of a hundred becomes this like iconic cult classic that gets bought on Blu-ray and streamed for decades and decades. And the same thing can be said for music, right? Of You look at how many classic albums there are, things like Thriller or Marvin Gaye, What's Going On or Songs in the Key of Life, whatever, whatever these iconic albums are that sell over and over and over. Well, there were hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of records that were made and paid for by these labels during that time that none of us remember and that don't make any money again. So by owning the masters of various recordings, record labels can build a back catalog of revenue generating assets. This consistent income stream not only offset the losses from those underperforming releases we talked about, but it also fuels future signings and investments. So we actually see this 
at indie labels of all sizes. If you have one song on streaming that got picked up by um, an official playlist and is doing really well, that money will fund future vinyl pressings. It will fund um, the ability to take a risk on future artists. We see that at midsize and really big indie labels where they might have like an iconic indie release that everybody owns and that everybody who gets, every 20-year-old who gets a Crosley turntable will want to buy a copy of this iconic indie record. Well, that record is like printing money for some labels and it's allowing them just to exist because some of the weirder, interesting stuff maybe doesn't make as much money. So it's kind of like the uncertainty of the music business. You kind of rely on your back catalog. Some are successful and some aren't, but they all kind of feed this you know, they create that whole ecosystem of a record label. And then finally, why it makes sense for record labels to own the masters is the Kate Bush effect and the resurgence of these classic records. Certain albums and songs have demonstrated the remarkable profitability potential years, decades after their initial release. The Kate Bush effect refers to that song running up the hill that that was placed on, we talked about it a lot on the show on Stranger Things last year. And all of a sudden that record, like the song re-enters the charts, the record re-enters the charts some 25, 30, 40 years later. I'm not sure. Also, um, there's like a lot of legacy artists and even like artists who had a release like five years ago, 10 years ago, who are seeing like these back catalog signs, songs, finding new life through platforms like TikTok. And I think probably all of you know, like a band who's not even that old, who's like, has like a kind of a, a cute song that got memefied that has now been attached to a TikTok trend or whatever, and people are making money off that. So, um, and then of course we know that investors and record labels have realized that classic albums and songs can remain evergreen through streaming, obviously. I mean, people are now just renting these songs over and over. I love the idea too, that like, there's like new 20 year olds are made every single year. And they're like, oh, I've never heard this band before. They're like literally discovering the Beach Boys or Bruce Springsteen uh, or or Beyonce for the very first time. And I'm like, oh, I've never heard this before. And, and I mean, the same will be true for Taylor Swift. I bet you any money that there's a kid that's not even born yet who will come into Taylor Swift music in their teens and be like, this is really cool. I think so, you know? And so, and then of course, that's why we see the frequent reissues and we see sync licensing, like the Kate Bush thing. And so record labels think if that's going to happen, we want to be a part of that. We want to benefit from that. And we, that's why we want to hold on to the masters because this record could, you know, be, um, blow up when on a social media platform that doesn't even exist yet, or it could be placed on a TV show that doesn't even exist yet. Like the Kate Bush song was on a show that took place in the late 2000, like 2020s um, that was, tick, that you know, the plot took place in the 80s. So any records that you're making now might be used 20 years from now or 40 years from now when they do a TV show um, mocking what it was like to be alive in 2023. Okay, so those are the reasons why it does make sense for record labels to own the masters. Again, I'm not advocating for major labels or for people to own the masters. I'm just telling you why they would want to own the masters because if they've paid to make the music, if they've literally paid to make the masters, and in some cases, the masters were these, um, you know, gold records that were, that a mastering engineer would cut um, or plates that they would cut, 
they literally want to own those and they and the record label would keep those in storage um, until they were lost or destroyed. Anyway, and then of course, just the hit and miss nature of the music business that it's um, not every record will blow up and therefore the records that do blow up need to pay for the records that don't blow up. And then of course, the Kate Bush effect. Okay, so why doesn't it make sense for record labels to own the masters? Number one, and this is kind of the... Um, theme song for this show is that we're pioneering a new and a fairer model. And so a lot of us who are making indie record labels and who run indie record labels are trying to do something almost the complete opposite way that major labels did things. And so if a major label signed the masters or wanted to own the masters in perpetuity for eternity, we don't want to do that. And so a lot of indie labels, again, I'm not saying this is you, but I'm just saying a lot of us in this community try to do things completely different. We try to throw things on the head. We try to be e extremely generous and considerate to our artists so that our artists are like, wait, well, what? You're giving me that? You're letting me retain my rights, but you're still helping pay for things? Like, it's incredible, right? So we're kind of advocating for a fair distribution uh, of control and revenue for artists. And we're trying to pioneer a new way of being a record label. I believe that is like the mission statement of, of this show, of this platform and of our community. And so that's one of the reasons why we maybe wouldn't want to own the masters, maybe just license them or not even license them at all, just license them on a day-to-day -day basis. And so that's one of the reasons why it makes sense to not uh, own the, the masters. Number two is the unease in the artist label relationship. This is the biggest one for me. Ownership of masters can create an uneasy dynamic between artists and labels. Artists may feel trapped in, agree in agreements. Listen, I, think, I don't know if I shared this with you before, but I have this agreement. I think it comes up this year, but I have this like five-year agreement with a distributor. I won't get into the details, but I, I love this distributor. This distributor has completely changed my career, it totally impacted my career. They've been extremely generous. I'm sure they're operating at a loss in this agreement, but they've been just very friendly, helping me with my vinyl. Um, it's just been an incredible relationship. However, I'm under contract with them that I can only release through them for five years and it's coming up soon. But during these five years, I've just felt at less. So I would say less so in the past two years, um, two to three years, but in the first couple of years, I was like, Oh my goodness, five years is a long time. Like what happens if they poo poo some things? I like to be prolific. I don't know. I, I was just, I was really uneasy. And it's just crazy to me because these guys were nothing but sweet and nothing but generous. And they literally um, did incredible things for my career. And yet still, I felt uneasy. I felt a little bit trapped. The funny thing is, is that when this like, contract expires, probably sometime this year or early next, um, I might f feel a sense of relief that the contract is up, but I bet you any money, I'm going to go crawling back to them and beg them to to renew because just because it's been so good for me. Um, but anyway, it just shows you that even in an, an absolutely incredible relationship, I, I still, as an artist feel a little bit trapped and a little bit scared. Um, I don't know why, you know what I mean? And so can you imagine now a situation where a record label isn't necessarily benefiting an artist or is being a little bit problematic or is not being overly generous, or if the deal isn't good to begin with, then Imagine how uncomfortable, how frustrated, how scared, um, and how angry an artist could be in those situations. So the tension 
can really hinder collaboration and creativity. It impacts the future of your record label. It impacts your reputation. It'll give you a lot of stress. It'll give the artist stress. Um, I've seen it in other friends who have like released like one album in the past 10 years because of an agreement. And it breaks my heart when a lot of freer independent artists have done 10 releases in the past 10 years. You know what I mean? So um, these locking people in, I just, I'll I'll tell you what, the reason why I never did things like this, I had a, with my label, I always had a five-year license agreement um, that would automatically renew it um, for one year at a time or like a quarter at a six months at a time, whatever, uh, until they told me to cancel it. But I always said to them, and it never came to this, but I always said to them like, oh, actually it did come to this once. Yeah, it did come to this because a band got signed by a bigger label. But I always said to the artists, if you want out before the five years is up, just say it and you're gone. The tear up the contract or if we didn't have a contract, it's just like, yeah, bye. And that happened once because a, a band got signed and they wanted to kind of delete their old music because they were changing their name and everything. And I was like, yeah, go ahead. We did it. It was no big deal. Um, I never, ever would want to like behold someone to a contract they weren't comfortable with. I would never want to force someone in a relationship. How gross is that? You know what I mean? I just, that's like, oh, would not make me feel good. And of course the artist would feel like crap. So anyway, I'm kind of hanging out on this topic too much, but I just think that when you own, when an artist knows that you own their catalog for 10, 25 years or forever, um, oof, I just, I don't, I don't know how that relationship could work. You know what I mean? Number three is, um, finally, is questioning your deserved ownership. What I mean by this, by this is that some labels are called into question on whether they genuinely deserve to own the masters. For instance, if a label hasn't contributed substantially to the production costs, or if they lack the promotional leverage to justify such ownership, it really raises ethical concerns, but it just raises questions as to, do you deserve to own the the masters? The question of whether a label's contribution justifies the extent of ownership becomes a central point of this contention. Labels shouldn't automatically assume this position of power based solely on the old way of doing things. That's what we talked about in point number one, is that we're pioneering a new and fairer model moving forward. So I wouldn't suggest that anybody try to even license um, the masters for an extended period of time unless you're giving up something substantial in return. And so that might be saying, listen, we're going to press every single one of your releases on vinyl. We're going to do two or 300 copies and we're going to fund it. And in exchange, we want to have the exclusive rights for five to 10 years of your vinyl. Or maybe they have a big, uh, they have huge connections with Spotify and they can guarantee that they'll get your music on editorial playlists. But in exchange for that, they want a um, certain percentage of sales for the next five years. They want to have own your catalog for the next five years because if they get you on a playlist, I've been on Spotify playlists that have been there for over five years. So uh, yeah, yeah, seriously, there's, there's one, a couple of playlists I've been on for more than five years. So they know that if they help get you on a playlist and then you leave six months later, well, you could potentially be benefiting from their hard work for the next five years. And so if you're not, so that's where it kind of makes sense to license a master's for a certain amount of time. But if you're not offering an artist 
any of those sweet deals, then why do you deserve to own the masters for that long? If you if they're home recording it, and then they bring you the masters uh, completely done and paid for, why are you claiming ownership on the masters? Doesn't make any sense, right? But if you actually paid for all that recording, or if you are a recording studio, then maybe, maybe there's a little bit more justification. So just to summarize that, why it doesn't make sense for record labels to own the masters is because we're pioneering a fairer, newer, different model that's different from those majors. The unease in the artist um, label relationships that it may cause, and then questioning whether or not you even deserve to own or that have you earned ownership of the masters. Okay, big conclusion here. Well, thanks, Scott, for all this. But what should I do with my record label? Should I own the masters? Should I license the masters? So in the process of crafting this episode, I did reach out to these people I really respect um, of all different sizes and all different parts of the world uh, to see what, and big ones, big labels and, and some really cool people and just get an idea and some attorneys who, who um, negotiated different uh, deals, right? So the insights I gleaned will kind of shed light on what is trending right now, what's common. In many instances, the prevailing approach involves record labels obtaining a license for the masters. So let's say an artist does everything at home, home recording. Maybe you help them master it, or maybe they master it themselves. They bring you these masters. And you're going to say, okay, I would like the exclusive license to this masters, meaning you can't also upload this to Spotify, or you can't give it to another label somewhere else in the world, or you can't give it to... Um, you can't make your own copies of these CDs. You have the exclusive license for a certain amount of time. And so let's say five years. And so in order to earn that license and to earn that exclusivity, you have to offer something in exchange. And maybe it's just that you're going to work really hard. Maybe it's that you're going to pay for tapes or CDs or vinyl. Maybe you have some contacts you're going to expose them to. Um, maybe you're just going to work as like their manager and publicist for the next five years, and they feel like that's a fair exchange. But the uh, concept of licensing as opposed to owning uh, in perpetuity outright, the, the concept of licensing is the most common. There are exceptions to that, um, which I'll talk about in a second. But let's say this, the, the most common terms I heard back from people and that I've known from the labels in our community is anywhere between two to 15 years. 15 years is starting to get into the top end of things, could go a little bit beyond that. Anything less than two is kind of kind of a little silly these days just because it takes so long to like the album lead up, you know, is often six months, manufacturing is six months. So sometimes it might be one year, but from release date. So like you're working on the album for six months, but the calendar only starts on the day it was released. So maybe two years, but... I would say anywhere between two to 15 years with a five-year duration being the most common. Throughout this licensing period, the record label holds exclusive rights to the release to promote it, to distribute it, to get some sync deals, anything that they can do to quote-unquote exploit the master recordings. In these cases, when the term comes to an end, Artists are presented with a choice to regain their masters by giving the label approximately 90 days notice um, to, you know, to kind of shut things down, or they can maintain their association with the record label on a month to month basis or a yearly basis. Nevertheless, nevertheless, 
That's a fun word. Nevertheless, there does remain certain scenarios in which record labels opt to retain indefinite ownership of the masters. Some of these circumstances tend to arise when labels have made substantial financial investments in artist development or production and marketing efforts and thereby thereby justifying their extended ownership. I think it's pretty rare. We're really not seeing it that much in the indie space, um, but it might still be out there, but we're just not seeing it that much anymore. Just as that balanced 50-50 profit share stands as a healthy and effective approach to working with artists in terms of royalties, in the same way, a short to medium-term licensing arrangement for artist recordings might represent a more mutually beneficial and ethically sound solution. So you can do whatever you and the artist agree upon. Maybe the artist is like, I want you, you've put all this work and all this money into it. I want you to own the masters for as long as I own the masters and we split everything 50-50. If that's what you and the artist want to do, cool. That's totally up to you. But if you've come here to find out the answer is like, what is everyone else doing? Well, it seems to be that most people are not owning the masters outright, that they're opting to license the masters for a certain period of time, the average period of time being five years. I hope you found that helpful. I know we went through a lot today. You can like, if we've, if I've, everything I've said, like everything I've covered is, is in note form. If you want to just kind of meditate on it by going to otherrecordlabels.com slash masters. I've had some frequently uh, asked questions in there as well. And then the notes from today's episode are all kind of point form at otherrecordlabels.com slash masters. And again, a huge shout out to our friends at Infinite Catalog who have been so generous to us who have not only helped out this show in sponsoring this series and sponsoring this episode, but they help out so many record labels manage their royalties. Record labels of all sizes, no matter how much revenue or how little revenue you're bringing in, they're helping artists and record labels um, create a transparent relationship with when it comes to the royalties. So go to infinitecatalog.com slash other record labels. That's infinitecatalog.com slash other record labels. Thanks for listening.